Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by trail runner Keely Henninger. Keely and I had what I will say is a very important conversation today around why injuries happen, and more specifically, focusing on the things that many people disregard as contributors to their injuries. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Keely, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Yeah, coming off a big day yesterday that I did for my birthday. (laughs) Well, happy belated birthday, first of all. Thank you. So I'm, I'm really excited to get you on here. Um, I've talked to a number of people recently about just issues that happen with a female athlete. And because of your experience as an athlete, I think we can really dive into that even more. Um, just because some injuries and some things just tend to hit females a little bit more often than, than males. And so um, I'm really excited to dive into that discussion with you, um, specifically around the female runner, since that is what you are and where your experience is. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. Um, but first and foremost, who are you? And uh, just give a little bit of your history. Uh, yeah, so I'm Keely Henninger, and I currently am a trail runner for Nike, which is not my day job, but I also do research for Nike, so I'm blessed to work for them in two different kind of scenarios. Um, So I have two hats, I guess, if you will. And yeah, I started running kind of later in life than most people. So I didn't play, like I didn't run track and field or cross country in high school um, or college and kind of just started finding running on my own and automatically was just kind of drawn towards the longer distances and the longer trails and just being outside. Um, And so my senior year of college, I kind of decided to just pause my future plans for a little bit and just move out west and try to pursue the running thing and kind of have been going that way ever since and probably was the weirdest decision of my life, but probably one of the better ones. Um, And now I get to study runners as well as run competitively, which is pretty cool. So my parents were a little crazy or a little like uh, shocked at first, but now they're pretty supportive of my decision. Well, it's interesting, too, how it came about that you left school for a period of time, too, because you actually had professors, like, tell you to take a break, which is very rare when it comes to the education of, you know, getting that secondary education. Totally. Yeah, I think we're all ingrained to go, 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 just go go through school and then go through more school and go through more school and that we should all know what we want to do. And I think lucky for me, two of the professors I looked up to the most were also avid trail runners and kind of told me to like, just go for it. And just school would be there in the end if I wanted to go back. And I think that was like the jump I needed, but it was definitely a hard pill to swallow because you're so ingrained to just keep chasing the education. Yeah. So once you started or once you switched to primarily focusing on running, um, what did that all look like as far as training wise, injury wise? What's that story there? Yeah. So yeah, I guess we can go through this as a pretty big can of worms, but I feel like initially uh, I kind of fell into the the bucket of super unhealthy runner. So the people I first interacted with um, were very surprised that I got my menstrual cycle as a college female that was trying to run. And so automatically after I kind of felt left out when they were 
saying things, I started just like running more, eating less, being super unhealthy to my body. And my first couple years of running were very detrimental to like my health. I had a stress fracture. Um, and then I kind of just pulled the plug on running for a little bit and then kind of refound it my senior year of college. And while I was still was struggling with a lot of the like body image issues and just like learning how to fuel and everything that kind of every runner has at some point, I was definitely starting to appreciate my body a little bit more just because I knew I could push it to these crazy distances. So I started trail running and I just felt like the community was a little bit more supportive. Um, but I'd say even just starting trail running, I'd say the first four years of that, I was kind of back and forth in my mind as well. So I was kind of in denial as to like how I was treating my body. I had a lot of health issues flare up where doctors kind of would not really know what was going on. And a lot of it now looking back retrospectively was definitely like energy deficiency or like female athlete triad symptoms of those kind of things. Um, and I think that for a while I was just being stubborn and not admitting that I was having these issues just because I'm such a science geek and like realistically I know what I'm doing to myself but like wasn't willing to admit it to myself um and so I think I got lucky that I had kind of like two pretty bad injuries um and just realizations in my running career that kind of have put me to that bottom and I think this most recent injury I had a year ago really just like solidified what I was doing to myself was not sustainable um, and made me kind of like put together both my science expertise and like swallow my pride on my mental status and just kind of like figure my shit out. And like, I'd say I was traject like the upward trajectory over the years was definitely uh, towards figuring this out. But I'd say definitely took a couple bottom of the barrels to like make me actually figure everything out, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, it, it totally makes sense. And, and I think it's tough because you have that science background. I have the like clinical science background as well. And it's hard to get rid of the, I'm an athlete and I want to train mindset and really be the like, okay, I'm going to be the clinician and the coach right now or the scientist right now and listen to my body and actually do what I need to do. Um, like it's I think that's why it's important to have coaches because your coach will shut you down if necessary. Whereas us as athletes, it's hard to shut ourselves down when we're starting to feel stuff. Totally. Yeah. I think my coach has been like one of the most positive influences in my running journey, just because I think he made me realize that you're bigger than your training and that it's okay to run really slow sometimes and like to listen to your body. And he always would put at the end of a log, like, okay, giant burger today or giant piece of pizza today or whatever. And like, just emphasize that like, yeah, you're putting in all this work, but like at the end of the day, this doesn't matter. And also at the end of the day, like your body needs food. So like try to just think of it more holistically. And that's definitely been monumental in like the past years of just developing a better mindset with running. Yeah. The listening to your body is huge. Um, and cause it's so easy to see a training program and be like, Oh, I'm supposed to run this pace today. And like, this is what I have to do, but the body doesn't always feel that way. And so the more you push it, like, you know, the worse, like you're going to injure yourself or something's going to happen with that. Um, I want you to talk about, I know your most recent injury was the pelvic stress fracture, I believe. Um, and I know we talked a little bit on the phone about what you were going through, like, 
stress and being overworked and all of that. And I really want you to kind of dive into that because it's such a relevant aspect to injuries that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I'd say it's everything's always hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like I think you can look back on an injury and you can see like where all the red flags were. But during the time I don't think you realize it. Um, but definitely like stress is stress. So it's like if you're pushing your body in training and you're pushing yourself in your job and you're pushing yourself to be like productive outside of all of that and you have all these other stressors, like that all counts as stress. And so for me, like I think I was just in this high stress state all the time. And I got to this point where I wasn't as like passionate about my work anymore. I didn't feel quite like myself. I woke up pretty much without fail every morning, not wanting to run at all. And I'd say like, we all wake up and sometimes we're like, I don't want to run today. And you know, every once in a while, that's totally normal. Maybe even more than every once in a while. But when it becomes something that's like very ingrained and you're like dreading doing something you used to love, like for me, that should have been a red flag. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was just like constant stress on my body and not fueling properly enough to like fully recover with all that extra stress. Like your body just doesn't have enough energy. And so things are going to be more, more prone to breaking if you're not treating your body correctly and like listening to those, those signals that you're trying to tell yourself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what, like in your opinion, when we are feeling this overstressed, maybe not feeling like we don't want to train that sort of thing, what are some things that we should do to just for like self care or um, there's things that we should do for our bodies when we're feeling that overstress or maybe we're sleep deprived um, because of our jobs and that sort of thing, which is a very common issue as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my good friends, Danielle Snyder is like a therapist and just overall badass. But one of the things she said to me recently really resonates for this kind of question. And that's just that we all need to treat ourselves with more self-compassion because I think most runners and just most type A and very driven people, the inner dialogue that goes on in our heads is so mean, something we would never say to anyone else. And so if you wake up one morning and you're feeling pretty crappy and you don't want to go running, like you're allowed to feel that way. And you're allowed to give yourself a little bit of compassion and be like, oh, okay, like I'm feeling this way and I'm going to acknowledge that and I'm going to like give myself some rest and that's okay. Um, and I think that's like the hardest thing for people to swallow is that you're allowed to feel crappy sometimes and you're allowed to give yourself a little bit of leeway to like really listen to what you need for that day. Um, so I'd say that's my biggest thing that I've been trying is just like trying to give myself more compassion to how I'm feeling and like being okay with having off days or maybe not wanting to do certain things. I think it's, you make a good point. I think it's pretty incredible that we do tell our things that tell ourselves things that we would never tell anyone else. And it's amazing how we let ourselves do that. Mm -hmm. When it comes to females, what are in your experience as an athlete, or maybe just, um, you know, your interactions with other female athletes that you've had, what are some common trends and common issues that you're seeing happen um, with a lot of female runners? That's a great question. I would say to start, I would say that there's just a lot of comparison that goes on in the sport. And so whether that's body image, 
mileage, running pace, like FKTs, all of these things. I think people are always just trying to compare their training to this next person's training and they're running to this next person's running. And you just can't function that way because we can't fight our genetics. So if you're trying to compare yourself to someone who looks differently than you, you're going to be chasing this body ideal that maybe is not beneficial to your genetics. And it's similar to training. So if you're, if you're following people who you want to compete against and you see that they're training a certain way and you want to mimic that, like that also might just not be how your body physiologically adapts to training. And so I think being able to get out of this comparison game where we keep finding ourselves wanting to be like so-and-so or train like so-and-so and just really listening to ourselves and being like, okay, my body needs to do this and look like this for me to be able to perform at my highest level. And maybe my training that gets me to my highest level is different than this person's training. And I think we just all have to be okay accepting that. Um, yeah, I'd say the second thing that I've noticed is just like the energy depletion and like difficulty maintaining energy balance for female athletes because I think a lot of people whether you're an elite or not an elite, I think there's just this line where we confuse it with, we're confusing calories and like running with like with things we can mimic or alter to change our body composition or our lifestyle. And it's like, that's not what those are used for. Like we should all be eating to train and not like using training to eat. And so I feel like there's just this line where if you're pushing your body a lot and you, you're really unsure of what to eat or you want to treat your body, like get your body to this ideal state that you think is ideal, like you're going to be limiting your calories or you're, you're going to be running too much. And I think it's just this balance of like really listening to your body and giving it the rest it deserves because you're demanding so much from it. And so people like, would go insane if they knew how much food I ate, but like you just have to eat a ton. And I don't, I don't think I would have been okay. Like saying that out loud or even eating as much as I do now in my past, because I felt like there was some, like you just had to drop weight and eat less. Um, and so I just think the energy availability thing is just a big issue for a lot of females and males, to be honest just because we don't really pay attention to that balance and the balance is so key. Um, yeah. I think those are the top two things that I've noticed. Yeah. Part of me wonders what the, what the food aspect is like, I don't think, like I think a lot of times people don't necessarily do it on purpose. They just don't realize like how much they actually burn when they're running and how much we actually burn on just like living our day to day life and how much we actually need um and then at the same time don't realize like some foods like how few of calories they actually have in them so i think there's this like sometimes it is intentional but i think other times there's just this not knowing and not truly understanding what they need yeah that's very true too um and i think we can get caught up like in all of the fads that are trending for diets and I guess I don't need to call them all fads. I think there's stuff that are going to help certain people, but I think it's really easy in this day and age with all of the social media and all of these influencers do doing different things that might work with their biology and their physiology that we get caught up in these diets that we think should work for us as well. And so I think if we all just remember that like 
your body's going to tell you when it's hungry. And if you can fuel it with really healthy from the earth foods that aren't like overly processed and maybe that's not even going towards a calorie goal. It's more just going towards a nutrition goal, like a new, like all the nutrients in these healthy, wholesome foods are going to help you recover. Like, I think that's something we all just need to remember, but yeah, I agree. I think it is hard sometimes to get enough calories and it's almost like accepting that is, is big enough or helpful enough to combat that caloric deficit sometimes as if instead of ignoring the fact that you missed calories for a day to like at least acknowledge that maybe you were a little low that day and try to get it back up to normal the next couple of days is, is good, is a good step. Yeah. Cause like, especially in trail running, there's just, there's no way for you to eat enough uh, during a long race. Like if you're running a 50 mile race in a day and then thinking you're going to be coming out of that day in a net positive caloric, like ratio, like that's never going to happen. <laughs> No, like, you know, that's like a 10,000 calorie day. So <laughs> I don't think we can really eat that many calories in a day. But if you just kind of acknowledge that you're in this deficit and you just work back to get whole foods that are going to replenish your body and help you recover faster throughout the next couple of days, that will help too. I'm curious when kind of what you notice performance difference wise when you were, when you know, were knowingly under eating compared to once you started eating what you needed. And, um, I would love to hear like what you notice with your body and your performance. Yeah. I'd say there's two key things there. So the first one being the mental status that I had going into races. And the second one being your body's inability to like regulate how it stores certain calories. So the first one I'd say mentally, I was always on the start line, completely scared and very nervous and not confident in myself. And I would start the race and almost fake the confidence, but I would always reach this part in a race where all of a sudden I could not control my brain and all I could, it would just be negative thoughts. So I feel like when your brain is deprived of sugar, you're going to fall down that rabbit hole a little bit quicker. And so where you need mental strength in a long race, I felt like I lacked that a lot for a really long time. And I think it was just, my body's inability to have enough calories to combat certain thoughts. Um, and then secondly, I would say when you do a lot of weird stuff to your body and like you go from eating a ton cause you're starving to like, Oh shoot, I should make up for those days and not eat these days and then eat more these days. And then your body just doesn't like that kind of stuff. So it's going to go through these phases of like storing calories right as fat because it's thinking you're going to starve it next time to like dropping weight because you just did a ton of working out and didn't feel properly. Um, that like, it's almost going to become this negative cycle for you because if you stop eating and your body gets in this starved state, as soon as you start increasing your carbohydrates and eating a ton again, it's going to store it as fat, which if you're in a poor mindset, like that's just going to trigger you to kind of go back down that same spiraling downhill. Um, and so I'd say like, I had a ton of just like wavering in body composition that I don't think was healthy. Um, it wasn't like you're storing beneficial calories. It was almost like your body would store them because it thought you were going to starve it. And so you're probably not repairing all the things you need to anyways, when you're training at a high level. Um, but I'd say since increasing calories and as well as just shifting my mind to think of eating as like this very nutritious experience 
like going into races now, like I don't feel that jittery on the start line because I'm just very confident in my training. And I think that I'm just in a much better mental space because I'm not always in this fog and I'm not always like yelling at myself for more calories. Um, and I think it's like, again, it's another hindsight's 2020 because while you're in it, you don't know any different. And so you're just constantly in this poor mental struggle. Um, but now that like I'm out of it and if I find myself slipping back down at it all, I can kind of identify it right away because I feel very different and very often a little bit stressed. Um, and that's not great. And then I'd say your body also just like changes as you start fueling it that it will get to your optimal weight and your optimal metabolism. So if you're not starving it every day anymore, like you're going to start repairing all the damage that you have when you're training and you're lifting. So your body's going to recover faster and your body will just get back to its normal weight without having to store these calories as like excess fat or fluid because it's stress that you're going to starve it again. So I'd say like mentally and physically like changing your mindset and just accepting that you need to eat eat more and eat more wholesome really like affects you a lot. <laughs> when it comes to mindset, um, especially when that transition to eating more, mm -hmm. is it something that you were able to do on your own? Did you need to get some help from like a coach for that? What did, what was that process for you? Um, so I think it's just a perfect storm of external stimulus almost like my coach definitely helped over like three or four years to just kind of emphasize that like you need to feel your body. Um, I think I'm also very grateful to have a lot of girlfriends and guy friends who have witnessed like female sports and just like unhealthy behaviors. And so we can all talk openly about like how we're feeling or how we felt in the past. And I was just kind of realizing that like, I wasn't the only person that went through these thoughts. And I think that really helped me. And then I think the third thing, and this is always what happens for me is that like, I'm so invested in the science that there just came a tipping point where my health just didn't seem healthy that like, I just had to make some changes. And so you kind of have to swallow your pride and just realize that like, Hey, you've been doing this wrong for a while and maybe you should make some changes. Uh, and those things definitely really helped me because I think a lot of people struggle with this. Um, and if you don't have a support network and you don't realize other people are also struggling with those kind of thoughts that like, it's hard to get over it just on your own. And I think that's a big element is I, one, a lot of these things that we experience, we don't talk about and other people aren't talking about. So we just think it's normal. Mm -hmm. um, and then along with that, if you don't have that network and you don't have those people just that you can run these ideas past to find out if it's normal, it's like, you just, um, you know, you aren't confused partially because you just don't know any different and, and it is, is a negative impact. Totally. Yeah. I was just on the phone with a cross country team recently where me and my friend Danielle asked who they, who thought had a runner body and zero out of 16 girls raised their hand. And so it was like magnifying this issue that we all kind of know exists um, but then it almost kind of brought it back to earth because basically me and Danielle talked about times where you look at these people that maybe have this quote unquote stereotypical perfect runner body in your mind, right? Like what we conceive. However, there's times where you're on the start line with these people and maybe you psych yourself out first, but like how many times have you beat someone that you think looks like a runner? And I think by acknowledging that they kind of realize like, okay, yeah, so maybe 
you don't have to look a certain way to be a good runner. And I think voicing all of these concerns in a group setting was really helpful for them. And we got a lot of outreach after where they were saying like they felt really excited that not only they were in this talk with their fellow teammates so that they could start supporting each other more, but that, that they heard that we had similar stories, that they were just like so excited to know that you can have these issues, you can get past them and you can still be like a really good runner if you take care of yourself and treat your body well. So that's really cool. That. Yeah. It's awesome. What other things when it comes to the female runner, or maybe the endurance athlete in general, um, do you feel is really important to bring up um, that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, I guess I would just bring up the culture of endurance athletics um, and just kind of emphasize that when I first started running, I got a lot of mixed support levels from different females and males. And I never felt like there was this outpouring of love and support where you weren't always competing with someone. And I think that like the culture and endurance running is very competitive, but that at the end of the day, we all need to support each other. And so if we want there to be more females in sport or we want more like healthy runners and, and athletes in male and female, I think it starts from the roots where the, the culture has to support one another. And so I think what I saw at this most recent talk with this ex, ex, uh, cross country group was that they all supported each other. And I think that's why they were so willing to hear what we had to say and were accepting of the change. Whereas I think there's still some parts of the culture where girls aren't supporting female, like other females, males aren't supporting other males. And it's like this very dog eat dog world. Whereas I think we should all be very supportive of each other and acknowledge that maybe someone's struggling mentally and like maybe also acknowledge that people shouldn't necessarily have to look the same. And so if you can just support your fellow teammates without having to like call them out for like maybe eating an extra piece of dessert or whatever, like just make it a very like community driven sport and support one another. I think that just would do leaps and bounds on the support industry in general. That's awesome. Yeah. And so true. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of to wrap it up, Keely, if someone has any questions, wants to reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at runwidkeel. Same, same handle on both. It's wid as in W-I-D. It was like me trying to be gangster back when I was in college. <laughs> I was wondering where that, how that name came from. Yeah. Most people think it says wild, uh, even though there's no L. So it's kind of funny. So they'll be like, what do you mean it's wid? It says wild. And I'm like, no, read it again. And then they do. And they're like, oh interesting <laughs> to my defense run with keel with w-i-t-h was taken so my second guess was to use a d i'm not really sure why but it worked <laughs> just to be gangster mm -hmm. awesome well keely thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story i think it's going to help a lot of people listening yeah no problem thanks for having me and that concludes this week's episode of highly functional if you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.